everyone, and welcome to Broadway AMA. I am your host, Caitlin Milligan. If you don't know what AMA stands for, it stands for Ask Me Anything. And on this podcast, I interview Broadway and off-Broadway stars and ask them questions about their show, their life, well, anything. And you, the audience, has the opportunity in the future to tweet, Facebook, Instagram, pigeon mail, anything you want to ask our future guests using the hashtag BroadwayAMA, and maybe your questions will be featured on the podcast. Today's guest is Drew Drogi, who currently stars in the production Bright Colors and Bold Patterns, which runs at the Soho Playhouse. Drew wrote and stars in this show, which is about a man named Jerry on the eve of his friend's wedding in Palm Springs where he's furious at the wedding invitation that reads, please refrain from wearing bright colors or bold patterns. And he asks, in the struggle for equality, what do we really want? What do we lose? And is there any cocaine left? So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Broadway AMA, and feel free to follow us at Broadway Radio on Twitter, and look out for future episodes. Enjoy! South Carolina? Or? I grew up in North Carolina. Okay. Um, yeah, outside of Charlotte and yeah, the little town of Lincolnton. Okay. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, where I haven't been back in forever because my parents have moved around. And so when I go home and see them, I don't, you know, I don't go back there. But um, They're in a different part of? They're actually in South Carolina. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And my brother lives in Davidson, which is close. To, it was also close to Charlotte, but on the other side. So I, I go back, you know, to the South like twice a year when I can. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like moving to L.A. from, you know, living? You know, the craziest thing was between, I mean, for me, it was like I went from, um, I in North Carolina, we moved around a lot, but I was mainly, I was in Virginia or one of the Carolinas growing up. And then I went to college in North Carolina. And um, between college and L.A., I got this crazy job at a Summerstock Theater Company in Kentucky. Oh, wow. And that was the biggest culture shock was going from North Carolina to Kentucky really? and then Kentucky to LA. Oh yeah. Cause Kentucky was like mountains. I couldn't understand what the people were saying. And it was really this like, I, and I was like, you know, and in North Carolina, everyone speaks, you know, very much like this and they will tell you that you will, you know, and so I, it's a totally different accent. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't understand what these people are saying. Um, we were in the, we were in a little town named David, Kentucky, which was named after the first postmaster. There was no, I mean, this was, this was in 99. So like, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, we were just so, it was, it was, you know, yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And that's when, and, and I did more drugs that summer than ever, than I would ever do in LA. Like I, I just like, it was so cool. He was like, what do you do here? But just yeah. like, you know, hang out and jump off of cliffs into lakes or, you know, find pills and snort them or whatever. I don't exactly. know. <laughs> but, um, but it was just this crazy summer of just like, oh my God, this is what I think a lot of people assume the South is like, whereas like North Carolina is so you know, a little bit of everything and there's yeah. like universities everywhere and there's, there are pockets that are super red and super, you know, but then they're like very, they're, it's very diverse. And so, um, it wasn't that big of a shock from North Carolina to LA. Okay. But, um, however, you know, when I go back, there's certain things that I'm like, wow, I really like, you know, when I've gone back to the small town, I'm like, how did I grow up here? Yeah. And I'm kind of glad I didn't know 
what all, it was what like. Was, uh, yeah, exactly. What was on the other side. Yeah. But I always kind of knew I would, I mean, I was like the, the weird kid like in high school that had like New York Magazine subscription and I was reading about the downtown theater scene and I was reading about Broadway and I was reading about like LA and Entertainment Weekly. Like I knew about movies and, and I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to get out. Yeah. And so there was always a part of me that I was like, this is temporary. North Carolina is cute for now. And I, and I love my family. It was great. Yeah. But I always had that thing in me that I was like, I'm going to not live here. So when did you decide that you wanted to do comedy? Um, That like really was like not a choice. Like if I was going to perform, <laughs> I was like, I tried so hard to be a dramatic actor and I would really? always get laughs. And I would get so mad and I would push harder and I would act more and I would get more laughs and I would always be like, why can't anyone take me seriously? <laughs> and so, yeah. So, I mean, but it's also like, I mean, I guess I grew up in a, with a, in a really funny family and, um, but I didn't trust comedy. I didn't trust the power in, in being funny forever. Cause I was, I'm the quiet one in my family. Okay. And if you met them all, you would understand immediately be like, wow. And I, and I get quieter in my family. I'm way more like. Um, introspective and, and I'm, I can, you know, a lot more serious than I am, but like they can, they're just all really, so the way they see the world is so bizarre. And I just kind of always thought everyone did that. And I grew up with the dad who would do characters on Saturday mornings. He would jump <laughs> in and out of characters and we would always would watch SNL and, you know, in living color and all that stuff. And so, and Carol Burnett and all that. So I, I just grew up in that world kind of living through that and not really knowing that that was yeah, no. And you don't ever think you're going to do it with your life when you grow up there. You don't think that's what it, you're going to you're, – you're like, well, that's what somebody else is going to do. That's impossible to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean for me too because like comedy is my – you know, what I want to do as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of looking back now that I'm older and I realized that it was so instilled in me from such a young age yes, because right. of my parents. And yeah. I didn't even realize like – I was watching movies and TV shows that I shouldn't have been watching at like seven because my dad and like my older sister. And now I'm like, oh, that's like, it kind of was there and it was going to happen, but I didn't even realize it. Right. Yeah, I know. It is really fun. That was the thing. That was how we would bond over like, we would bond over like Eddie Murphy movies or whoever. Like that's my family loved comedies and you know, and that, yeah. And and sitcoms and that kind of things. We would watch these shows and yeah, it is really funny how, you just kind of, and I mean, for me, like I, I didn't really know where I fit in because I always felt like I was a musical theater actor who couldn't sing or dance. So I was like, <laughs> I can't, I cannot sing or dance, but I, my energy is musical. And <laughs> what do you do with that? And then I walked into the Groundlings in LA, and you know, and I was like, oh my god, so many SNL people, and like you know, and like Lisa Kudrow, and these people that I that I like always loved, and and a lot of actors that you saw on the wall that you were like, oh that guy, and that like oh her, yeah. oh my god, I love the, everything that they do, and I was like, oh I think that this is, and then we started doing improv and and um, sketch comedy. I was like, this is this is my bag, like this is what I can do, and then when I started writing, I was able to like like have a lot more control. Yeah. Over what I was doing because I didn't really fit in. I mean, I look back and, you know, see myself when I was 22, 23 and I'm like, you look a little, really twinky and young and like that thing. But I was never, I always came off older and like weirder. And like, so I would never get, I didn't work for like 10 years really professionally. And so I was, I was glad I was at a school that was like, just keep writing and creating projects for yourself. And then, you know, and you sort of kind of fall into it that way. But, um, yeah, I resisted comedy for a long time because I just didn't want to. I was like, oh, don't laugh at me. I'm going to be serious. I'm the serious <laughs> one. 
So when you went out to LA, did you have a plan in mind or were you just moving? And no, I, don't, I, I wish I could say I did, but I, I had a lot of friends out there. I, I came, I, I, I had friends moving here. I had friends moving to New York. I had friends moving to LA and I was going to make, I was going to decide between the two. And I just, I, I it, there was just something about the setup in LA at the time that felt better. I had when I came out to visit LA, I'd been to the Groundlings and I was like, I think I want to study here and take a couple classes here and then see how it works. And I always thought I would eventually move to New York. Okay. And I never have. I mean, this will, this is the longest I've, I've ever lived here at one time, but, um, I come here, you know, at least three or four times a year, if not more. And I love it here. Um, but I just, yeah, I've just always ended up in, I mean, the Groundlings was such uh, a, a good decision for me to make because I just kind of stayed in with that. And I met, really like-minded people and you know in the world of LA you know it's like I've you know I had a friend that said you know LA is where you meet the best and worst people in the world and it's, <laughs> and it's so true it's like and I'm really lucky I've met some I mean along the way some like really incredible people who um just sort of kept me there for a long time even when I, I didn't really have a reason to be there because I wasn't working for a really long time there but um you know um yeah so and and, and I, I've also just realized too like I I made a lot of plans and they kind of sort of came true. But then there was also that thing where I was like, I just had to like trust the now and like trust my gut and just like do the next thing that feels right. Cause it's so hard even now, like 18 years later after moving there, you know, it's like, I am sort of like, I don't ever know what the next plan is. I mean, when I picked up to, to come here and do this show for two months, maybe longer, I'm just like, all right, why not? And, you know, bite the bullet and, there's always, there's always like the other project that you have to turn down or you have to make a decision. And, you know, every actor always goes, Oh, I could have done that, but I did this or, or thank God I did that because, yeah. you know, whatever. And you just don't ever really know. And you just kind of have to, you know, um, it's good to sort of check in always and be like, why am I doing this? And, you know, it should be like for money or for love, you know I mean? It's yeah. like I either because it's my passion or because it's my paycheck. Um, and if it's ne- neither of those, then maybe don't do it. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you have performed bright colors and bold patterns Mm -hmm. a few times before. Yeah. So what has it been like now that you're doing a Soho Playhouse? Like what's been different for you and what's better? What's worse? Yeah. It's I've been working on it off and on and doing it off and on for four years now. And when I first did it in LA in a 30 seat theater with just me and, and four chairs and that was it. And it has grown so much. I mean, this is the most fully realized production. Also, the script has just figured itself out. And I figured out what the play's about. And, um, you know, and I've worked with two really incredible directors in L.A. Molly Prather helped me, like, form it and write it and figure out the beginnings of the whole thing. Um, and then Michael Yuri saw a workshop that I did. I did a two-night little um, same presentation with just the chairs at Ars Nova in New York and Michael saw it then and asked me if he could like make it a fully realized like production. And, um, and so, um, and Michael's been so incredible, um, not only in turning the show into a a play, but also just, he's, it's just such a phenomenal actor and such a smart person. (laughs) He knows people so well that he, he's been able to just tell me the simplest things and, you know, and, um, so it's been a gift working with both of them and, you know, but now it feels very much like, um, a play and I know it sounds crazy because there are these three other characters in the play that you never see yeah. that I'm talking to, but I feel like I'm in a play with these people. And I feel like I'm just kind of talking to them and showing up and doing the show. So, um, 
And that kind of gets me through it, imagining like I'm not up here all by myself. I'm like, and it's, I know it sounds crazy, but it's like, well, yeah. No, I was going to say when I saw it, I mean, in the beginning, you kind of, you're like, okay, so this is what's happening. But then 20 minutes in, you're, you're starting, like I started to think that there were people. Like oh, it good. felt so cool. <laughs> comfortable. I was like, oh, he's talking to this person now, or he's, you know, it just, it's funny. You're really good at bringing those characters to life Thank when you. they're <laughs> imaginary, yeah. but it's definitely, um, yeah, it's funny like to see that kind of tra- uh, transform in the audience's mind too because you start off knowing that they're not there, but then you start right. to think they are. Right. Oh, that's so great. And I know too that like when I was doing it in L.A. and even even I, I did it in L.A. just this fall just to, for a few nights before I came here again, you know, it's an audience of people who, who know me uh, or at least know who I am. And now doing it here, I can have full audiences of people who don't know me at all. And that's a very different vibe, especially in the beginning, because in the beginning, you know, in LA people are laughing immediately because they, they know what to expect from me. Even if they're not, even if they're not genuinely laughing, they're like, Oh, it's yeah. true. He's, yeah, I don't know. And so here it's taking people longer to figure it out. But it's almost more rewarding because I'm earning it, you know, yeah. and it's like, cause I'm like, I'm also like, and they're also trying to figure out the style of the play. And, um, and my character is a ball of fire when I come out on stage and I don't stop talking for so long <laughs> that I think a lot of people, it's like, whoa, they're just trying to track what I'm saying and try to make sense of it all. So, um, you know, but it's been really nice to start off cause I can, I've been really bad. I'm really bad about giving up on audiences and this play has made me relax so much more with that because audiences need time sometimes. I mean, I will, if I go out and the audience isn't like, is pure love, I will give them everything I have in me to keep that love. But if I go out there and I feel the, just the, the cold judgment, I will be like, well, you know what? You guys don't get a very good show tonight. So you're going to get a little bit of me and then I'm going to move on. You know, I'm not going to get my heart broken by you. And, um, and I realized with this show, like it doesn't mean they hate you if they're not laughing, they're, they're trying to figure it out. And it's a good, it's a really good, um, lesson for me as well. And also to treat the show like a play and not like a comedy show and realizing that like, I don't, cause it's like, that's the, that's the downfall when you're doing sketch and improv, as you know, that like, it takes a really long time to get comfortable not getting laughs every line Yeah. because you write and, and, and the way things are written now, I mean, I was writing on a, on a TV show this year and it was like, we wanted every line to be funny and that's kind of how, it, how things are now. And in a play, it would never work. Like you have to, you have to breathe and you have to, and it has to be, have other levels. And so, um, and I wanted to write a little more drama and pain into the show as well and be able to just, and not, you know, be, you know, nonstop wall to wall laughs the whole time. Yeah. And I feel like with comedies, it's so much more difficult than dramas because you ha- like, you know, right away what people are thinking or yes, like, yes. it's so much more in the moment where yes. like dramatic actors or like dr- dramatic plays, if people don't like it, you don't know. Until right. After. So right, you're doing right, your right. whole you're thing. Doing you're whole feeling great. Thing. But comedy, exactly. it's like, you have one joke that you Oof. think is going to land. And if it doesn't, you oh, just I know. feel you're horrible. Like, well, that just, and it's still like why I like resist doing stand up. And I just, I, I, it's just, I, it's just never something I think I want to do, <laughs> but I do storytelling. I love to get up and tell stories and I do a lot of storytelling shows. And that is, that is very different because it's the same thing. It's like the audience can be quiet. They're thinking, they're listening They're You're not setting up a joke. And, um, that is just to me like, uh, uh, um, I also don't like that kind of comedy so much. I like when things kind of 
I, I like when I like when non jokes are funny. If that makes any sense. No, like yeah. Sometimes it's like a behavioral thing, or it's the way you say something and not what you say. And um, but you're right. I mean, you know when you're feeling it, you know. And then there are times, and when this show, it's like seven shows a week. I there's every now and then. And many times it's every audience is different. And so you'll get a huge laugh one night and the next night you, you say the line and expect, and it's crickets. And yeah. Like, well, they weren't going for that. You know? And so it's, it's that phenomenon is like, will never not be fascinating to me how a collective, you know, energy across an audience, like, well, they'll all feel one thing in a moment and then the next night not feel it at all. It's crazy. It really is. Yeah. I literally just lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? Like I, um, yeah, it happened to me on stage the other night. I completely went up on my lines, and I just had to flammel, 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 wag you, my hand. That's a good question to go off. Of. How do you do that every night? Like you, I mean, it's an. I have to what, imagine like a, um, ninety minutes, but you say enough for probably like <laughs> over two hours <laughs> in ninety minutes. I have to imagine what the other people are saying to me to keep me on track to know what's coming next. And yeah, I've done it so much. It'll be interesting because I I um, have an understudy, Tom DeTrinas, yeah. who's gonna who's a brilliant actor and. Um, who we're going to start rehearsing with. And it'll be the first time anybody's done it other than me. So I'm really curious as to the level of difficulty for him to learn it. Because yeah. for me, there are pockets of it that were so easy to learn because I wrote it. And to me, the hardest part to learn were just were transitions and the moments between and, and being afraid of skipping. Like, you know, and I still every now and then I'll skip a line and be like, oh, I didn't say that tonight or whatever. But um, the trick is not panicking. Because that's the thing that I, you know, and it's like, also what feels like 10 minutes on stage is two seconds to an audience. Yeah. And you just don't let the audience know that you're, that you're pan, you know, whatever. You just take a breath. You, you know, you relax um, and you find it, you know, and you go, you know, again. Um, and the, and the great thing about when it's just me is that like, it's like, well, I'm not going to throw another actor off, you know. Yeah, you, you could know, change so it a little bit. I could change it and, you know, and, um. You know, so yeah. So for me, it's like I try not to put the pressure on myself of like, you have to get this right. You have to do this well because then you're definitely going to screw up. Yeah. You know, other than just going, hey, go out and play. It's party. Look where we are. We're on the set of a crazy tacky house in Palm Springs. <laughs> We're drinking beer and margaritas. You know. Are you actually drinking beer? I am. Are you? <laughs> yes. I actually do drink beer. Um and something that from the day, it's so weird because I don't like Corona and that's what I drink in the play <laughs> and I wrote it and I'm like, why did I not pick something that I like to drink? But it just felt like the right thing that they would be drinking late afternoon in front of a pool. Um, it's what you drink. It's like, just like, it's definitely beach beer, beach beer. <laughs> and it's like cheap and it's just like, you know, and it's like, it has no alcohol in it barely. And, um, so I just always, uh, the rest of this stuff is fake of course, but, uh, that I drink in the show and that I snort and smoke. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that would not be fun if I, if that was all real, uh, fun for me, but not for everybody else. Um, but no, there was something we, we, we tried to find that the beer just doesn't look authentic yeah. in a clear bottle. You can't really fake it. Um, and it's, you know, I don't even, I mean, it's just like, it just tastes like skunk water at that this point. To <laughs> yeah. Me. And I drink like half of one. So I'm barely drinking, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't usually, I don't like beer very much anyway, but I actually did have a margarita where they put the Corona in it. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which, it's good, right? It is actually See? delicious. I know. It's, I say it in the show. You put yeah, the beer in the market. Yeah. That's the sweetness. And it really does. It does. It, I know. It's and that's, sweet. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, it was just, somebody did that, whatever. And you can just throw it in, in like a blender. You can just do one beer yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah, it makes a really good margarita. A lot of Mexican places, they'll put like a little one right, upside like down. Right, upside down. Yeah. In the, that's how uh-huh. I had it. It was uh-huh. really good. It's really good. It works. You know? <laughs> yeah, margarita I love. I mean, it's my favorite too. Is it? Tequila's, yeah. if I had to pick anything, it would <sighs> probably be what I, know. I would pick. Yeah. I could drink tequila straight. I'm just pretty, yeah. pretty real with it. You Same. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, you might as well. I mean, well. come on. Come on. And to yeah. me, it's better than, I mean, I have a lot of friends that I think have had bad experiences, and that's why they don't like tequila, because, like, you can get really Oh, it can make you wild. Really, yeah. It's actually technically not, and I don't, I'm talking out of my ass, but it's unlike other alcohol. Like, other alcohol is classified as a depressant. And tequila is And a tequila is not. Tequila actually can make you hyper. Makes and sense. can and can I don't know if it's actually a stimulant or what, but it's a di- chemically it's a different thing, and a lot of people on certain diets can have tequila and not anything else. Oh wow! So it's it's a different I don't know, I, but yeah. Yeah, because like I know like you can't usually have like vodka or anything because like it basically breaks down as sugar. Yeah. When you drink it, because it's yeah. like people always say you can't drink when you're on diets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of that, but right, yeah, exactly. I feel like te- yeah, people always say tequila. They feel like they like feel better when they drink it because like. Yeah. They feel skinny or something. There was like some study I'm pretty sure I read about that that someone sent me and they were like. They were like, I feel skinny when I drink tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Or I drink enough tequila to forget how I feel. (laughs) Great. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I I have a different. I've been drinking vodka lately and I'm finally, it makes me like like reckless. Really? And I'm really hungover. It's not good. I don't think I like, I don't think it's good for me. Because I'll have like a martini and I'm like. I'm hammered. <laughs> With one. <laughs> and then after one, I mean, it's a martini. I know yeah. it's a strong drink, but like I drink whiskey straight. That's normally what I drink or, or scotch. Michael Urey got me into scotch. He hooked really? me into it. Yeah. And um, so that's what I am. And that's like, everyone's like, whoa, you're a hard drinker. Yeah. And I could drink three or four of those in a night and I'm, you know, feeling good at the end, but I'm fine the next day and I'm good. So I'm a drinker, but vodka, I don't know. And I, I didn't used to be that way, but I, I didn't drink it for a long time and since I've been in the city, I'll go after a show and I'm like, I'm going to have a martini, you know, <laughs> and I will be like on the floor and the next day I feel poisoned. Yikes. So yeah. Anyway. Oh, it's fun. Isn't, <laughs> Isn't life it fun? fun? Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of being on the floor, your character Jerry in the show is <laughs> yes. definitely a hardcore. Yes. He is. And you know, I, I, I worked on it a lot and I've sort of thought about that a lot with like, because he does do all the drugs and uh, the drinking and everything. And I do think he is a hard drinker. I don't know that he's an alcoholic. I think he's going through a really rough time. And he's the person who you don't want to be drunk with for too long. He's the life of the party until he turns that dark, ugly corner. We all know that person. So that is the making of an addict, I guess, because it's like I definitely – we all know those people in our lives who are like, oh, maybe they are – they're, they're a very different person when they are, you know, when they're, when they're drinking. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't want the play to be anti drinking and drugs. And I, you know, I have cocaine in my play because it's, you know, I'm not even going to say good, bad, whatever, I'm going to judge it. It's just, it's around a lot in social circles. And a lot of people that I know that use it, um, do it to like, just stay up. And it's not a matter of like being cokeheads. It's like, we're drunk let's get a little bag of Coke and I'll do bumps and we can stay up and keep drinking. So 
that's why I put it in the play because it felt very authentic to these guys in that world. But I didn't want to do, because I, I have had people afterwards being, you know, kind of like, oh God, is he going to get help for his, and I was like, I don't think he has a real yeah. addiction. He just doesn't know how to handle <laughs> Anything, and I think when he gets with, and he's also very emotional, and he's trying to not feel pain, and so I, that's more what I was, what, what I was into than than actually you know trying to play, and and um, I am only lucky just by nature of my chemistry that I'm not an addict because I would be if, I, if that was in me, <laughs> I absolutely would be, um, and I'm not, but so I would never write from the point of view of an addict because I don't know really yeah. firsthand. I mean, I have lots of secondhand experience lots of people in my life who I know and love but um yeah I can't claim to know what that's really like yeah so is Jerry based off of anyone you know or is there mm. a little bit of you in him like, yeah what do you, everything you... um there is a little bit of me in there um some of the stories in there are mine and some of them are completely fabricated um and he is to me like I I I, I really thought about like my dream role and like the kind of person that I wanted to play and celebrate. And, um, you know, I just, I, I know this guy and I think we, we all do, especially, you know, in the gay world, that's just always holding court and always, and at the same time, terrified. The one who's the most judgmental and the smartest <laughs> and the most anti and sarcastic and whatever, but who's also crying out for help and also feeling really lonely. And, um, so I was like, I, I've had these moments where I've been this person. I've definitely been, been mistaken for this person. I think I, I get, I, um, and I think that's, it's universal. I think the, the greatest disappointment, I think, is when you're misunderstood. Because it's like, oh, I'm just trying to make a point and somebody, you know, misinterprets, whatever. And I think as a funny person, you get misinterpreted a lot because people don't know that you can hurt. They don't know. They think you're impervious to anything. And they think you're just like, oh, you're a clown. And so that's why I wrote the play because I wanted to make the audience just see him. And he is alone. Even though he's with people, he's in his own world. And he's in a real world of gay men who don't quite understand him. So he's he's misunderstood a lot. And you know, and I, so I, my heart goes out to him and I've been that person. Um, I am not, you know, I never, um, you know, blew up a, a party the night before a wedding and like had people leaving and screaming and hating me. I've never done that. Um, you've never driven you know, from LA to uh, Palm Springs in, in 53 minutes. No, that's impossible. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, no, I've never done any of those things. And, um, but I wanted, you know, I was like, I, I also just love, those plays and I think you know we love those like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and August Osage County where just they it just everybody blows up and the stakes are really high and it's like I love you know um and it's usually you know women that that you know that that I always gravitate towards in in, in theater and in movies who get these grandstanding great moments and so I was like oh I want to I want to see that in in gay men and I don't think I don't know a lot of gay things, movies, plays, TV that want to show this guy yet. We're yeah. not there yet, I don't think. Because I think we want to show heroes. We want to show that like gay people are really good and they are capable of getting married and uh, having normal lives and raising children and, you know, um, and, uh, and which is obviously a, a great <laughs> point yeah. to be made. But I was like, yeah, but we also have a lot of, a lot of, trouble within and a lot of stuff that we do within our community that's not always great and to each other and um 
and I wanted to show that in the best way that I could. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. Yeah. And you do. I mean, thank you. <laughs> For anyone <laughs> you're like, and you failed. Drew, so uh, try again. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting what you're saying about like um, Jerry and like comedians and people who are funny. They always seem to be like easy targets back. But I feel like what people don't realize is just because people make jokes doesn't mean you can. Like it does seem so easy to make them like, oh, if they think everything's funny, I can like comment on things they do and uh-huh. make light of it but then you right. don't realize they're just like putty on oh me. my god like at least with me too like i'll make jokes or whatever but then the minute someone like makes a joke at my expense i just like want to oh, die I, I know <laughs> me too me too and i think it's it's really hard and i know it's hard and it's like you know i i i, I it sort of crushes me when people say i never know when you're serious or not and i'm like oh god because i think i'm usually i'm usually serious <laughs> yeah. even when i'm funny i'm being serious like i i think you can be both and i think that like you know um it is hard because i play a lot of really awful people i mean i play characters that are way worse than than this character in this play like in a, a lot of you know you know, web series and on TV, I always play like just like evil, awful people. And I think people think that that's my sense of humor to be really mean. And I'm not, I just can't do mean. I don't trust myself when you throw a mean thing at me. I don't trust what I'm going to say back. So it, it sends me on this whole thing of like, I have to, and I just, I can, I love being mean on stage. I love being mean on camera. It's, it's such a, it's so, I only want to be bad guys. I only want to be assholes. I mean, those are the fun parts to play. But in life, let's be nice. I mean, I just can't. And I and I don't know how to play that. And I think a lot of people think, oh, this is how I'll get closer to you. If I say something really like, you know, yeah. if I say something, you know, really shitty to you, then you're going to think that we're on a level. Yeah. Like versus we're... just being a human being and being nice. And I, that's the thing that, I'm, that I sort of am like, we can just be, we can just be yeah. <laughs> nice to each other and not feel like we... You know, had to trade barbs. And yes, you're right. We're the most sensitive people in the room. I feel like people don't realize, like non comedians don't realize. They that. don't realize. Comedians it. are comedians because they. Yes. And need we, and we, and we, we had to be funny. Our, it's our defense mechanism. Exactly. Like I was never the person who was going to walk into the room and make everybody like turn their heads and be like, oh my God, I have to marry that guy. I was never the person who was like, would walk in and like, you know, be like, oh my God, he'll, he'll beat you up. Like the thing we have, our protective layer is our, no, is exactly. our comedy. <laughs> so it's like, that's it. And when you, you know, and, um, and I think, yeah, I think too, it's just about reading the room and knowing like who you can say what to and, you know. And forgiving people because there are many times people just say yeah. things and they feel terrible and you're like, oh my God, it's all good. So, <laughs> anyway. So you say you like playing assholes. Is I know you're going to be in the upcoming Heather's yes. TV show. Is your character an asshole on He's that horrible. show? Really? He's horrible. He's <laughs> horrible. Um, are you excited you know, for I'm people so to see excited. It? I'm so excited. Every single person in – every single character, I should say, is is – dark and horrible and really um the cast are the most lovely delightful people and they are so good at playing just venomous monsters um oh yeah because over the course of the series you know even the like the veronica character who you know the winona Ryder character in the movie you know brilliantly victoria grace cox plays her and she's so brilliant and she's so complicated and every episode I switch allegiance, I'm like, I love Veronica. Oh, I hate Veronica. Oh, <laughs> whoa. You know, and so I think it's going to have that effect. And, um, yeah, I play the drama teacher at the high school. And um, my character is I'm terrible 
to the guidance counselor, uh, Pauline Fleming. She's a character. She's in the, my character's not in the movie, but the but the um, guidance counselor, uh, Pauline Fleming, is in the movie. And we have a lot of back and forth. All of our scene, most of my stuff is 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 with. Um, Deanna Chang, who's a genius, who is a friend of mine, and we got to work together for the whole season. It was so fun. But we're, I'm terrible to her. But to the students, it's weird. I want the students to like me. So I'm so – it's so sad. Like, I'm a very <laughs> sad man. And it took me a couple times – it took a couple episodes in to realize I'm like, I think I'm really fabulous, and I think I'm like – but all I want is for – Annie, I want one student to come up to me and tell me that I'm talented because I'm always acting for them. I'm always trying to perform. And I've written original musicals about what's going on in school. <laughs> and I want them to just think I'm, a, I'm, I'm talented. And it's so sad and dark. And I think the kids are really cool. And I want them to you know, be my friend. Um, like, and like those teachers that we've had before. Yeah. You know, that are like, you know, the ones you're just like, ooh. You know, the, the people are like, hey, guys, I'm Mr. Drogi, but you can call me Drew. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather not, you know, I'm, I'm 16. I don't need to call my teacher by his first name. You know, I'm that person. So, um, yeah, but it was a blast and it comes out in March. That's exciting. Yeah. Do you think uh, fans of the movie will? I hope so. I'm a huge fan of the movie. And, um, I gotta say, I would never, I would never attempt to take it on as a series because I think it's so hard, but Jason McAuliffe has done an amazing job. He, um, he created the series and, um, Heather's is his favorite movie. So it is near and dear to him so yeah. much in spirit. And it's very different than the movie in a sense that like we're in a different world now. Exactly. Um, it wouldn't happen the same no, way No. And you don't want to watch, a, who wants to see a show where three pretty blonde girls walk down a hallway and go as if, you know, it's no. like <laughs> Heather's created that in 1988 now we've seen that so many times and so many high school things. It's like, so it's a lot more complicated, um, conversation now. And, um, but I do think that fans of them, I mean, I hope that they, that yeah. they like it as much, but we all were, you know, I think there were times that we, in, in doing it, we really wanted to get it right. And, um, they were very adamant about like, and Pete fans of the movie, the, the real like deep fans will pick up on, I mean, they're copying shots. There was one, and they, oh, wow. That's awesome. they, re- they, they, they hand lines from the movie off to different characters with different contexts. So you can pick them up in different ways. Um, that's there's funny. one thing that I do that's like copying a shot that Christian Slater did in the movie that they wanted to get exactly right. And just really things like that, that like. You know, a casual fan may not pick, but I think the deep cut fans will be like, oh my God, they copied that right from the movie in a totally different meaning. So, um, and I think that's fun. What I think, you know, remakes should do because you, you don't want to see us like a carbon copy no. because then it's not the same, but right. it's honoring that. And, exactly. And that's what's important. It's really tricky because you don't want to completely go away from it because then people, they feel, you know, abandoned by it. But then if you copy it, they're like, why did you, why did you yeah, just so redo it? Yeah, so it's like that happy right. middle. Right. And to me, like, like I don't know if you're a horror movie fan, but like to me, like the the worst remake ever. And I'll say this because it infuriated me, and I found it actually offensive. Was Nightmare on Elm Street because it didn't understand Freddy Krueger at all, it didn't understand the mythology and fans of of the series. And there hasn't been a Nightmare on Elm Street movie since that terrible remake because I think they ruined it for people. And we were like, wait, what is going on? And they they did a yeah anyway but to get too deep but it just <laughs> didn't just it didn't capture the spirit and it actually didn't understand freddy and so you're like so fans smell that and they run the other way and to me a perfect remake was halloween rob zombie's halloween because he understands the spirit but he completely did his own thing with it but yet there's still like a real loyalty to michael yeah. myers 
it's my uh, hi. I went real. I went in my little horror movie thing there. But um, I was. I'm like, you want to do the Rob Zombie version versus the I don't even know who did the remake of Nightmare and who. Did, but like, because um, you want it to be. Yeah, you. The fans ha- are the number one exactly. people you have to take care of when you do a remake. If you abandon your fans, there's no point in doing it. And yeah, and you don't want to do. You know, Psycho. To use another horror movie, which was shot for shot. You know, because yeah. it's like, why well, do that? I mean, yeah. I actually, I actually love the remake of Psycho because <laughs> I just love the original Psycho so much, and I thought it would. But, but I agree with people who also say it's pointless. So. Yeah, yeah. I saw the Mean Girls musical trailer. Oh, how DC. was that? It was really great. And oh, good. What I thought, you know, I agree with like, and I actually read um, the review from when they opened in DC that. Tina Fey's book is really great at taking those moments that were so important in the movie and putting them in the show, but also not making it feel forced. Like those, oh, that's great. Like key lines and things that like people are there to hear, right? But right. they don't want to just like make it feel like it was like, oh, well, we have to say it, but like it came right. naturally. And oh, I that's think so cool. in terms of remakes, that's what's important. Oh, that's great. So I could be completely wrong on this, and it may have just been me like overhearing and being nosy, but. Were you? Did you work on Big Mouth, like the I did. the animated? Yes, because I, I tried to find you on like IMDb. Well, I wrote on um, season two, so did I didn't. Really? I didn't work on season one, so okay. the only season one stuff is probably up. Like so, I yeah, yes. there is no season two. So I contributed. Uh, that was the that was the thing I was talking about earlier. Yeah, I did, and it was such a great time. I watched the whole first season in like two days. I'm a huge. John Mulaney and Nicole fan. Um, Me too. They're like my spiritual. I know. Oh like, my god, they're I, the greatest. I saw Oh Hello um, <laughs> off Broadway uh-huh. in LA when I was there, and then again on. Broadway. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, well, so. it's new every night. It's a little different, and I only I saw it in LA, and Nick actually like sent me a message and was like, I really want you to come see this. He's like, I'm sending like messages to people that I think would really, and I have loved Nick and John forever. And I think what they do is brilliant. And I love them on Kroll show yeah. as those characters. And so I was like, I'm glad you told me about it because I mean, I, you know, as we, we with comedian, everyone's like doing stuff all the time yeah. and I wouldn't, you know, and I went and I was crying laughing. Like I've never laughed so hard in my life at those guys. And they, um, I mean, Big Mouth was a, was a dream. I, I was I'm very lucky this year that I got to work on Big Mouth and Heather's, and I was told that by multiple people because they were like, you, and because they were like, it was dream team. It was the it was not only like the most brilliant minds, but also the dearest people. Like yeah. the writers' room at Big Mouth was so much. We spent two or three weeks talking about our most awkward you know, sexual <laughs> masturbation, whatever experiences in, in seventh and eighth grade. Cause that's what the show's about. Yeah, but I it think- was, and all this stuff, like all that reality went in and, you know, and it's just, it was, it was a dream. And that was, yeah, they, I mean, we would cry laughing. Some of those, those writers in that room and Nick was there almost every day. Like, oh, in, wow. um, I only, I was only there, um, you know, one or two days a week I would pop in and, you know, um, and, you get to do that. It was my first time in a writer's like job in a writer's room. And I learned so much. And I, I mean, I know I'm spoiled forever because like, you know, if I ever do it again, I'm going to be like, well, it's not as good as big mouth. Yeah. Cause there were people <laughs> in the room that were like staff on major on, on like huge, you know, sitcoms. And they were just like, there's nothing as good as this, you know? Yeah. Um, but Andrew Goldberg, who was the writer on, um, Oh my God. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's show, Family, oh, Family Guy. Guy. Yeah, yeah thank yeah. you. I was like, "What's that one?" I could see it. Yeah, <laughs> Family Guy. You know, he was a he. He. It's actually based on his and Nick's yeah. life growing up, and so um, they're they are, uh, and he's just a genius himself. And how crazy that these guys grew up together, and now and are, are both like 
so talented and, and, like, went and their successful own ways, and went their own way. But then still found I know, way. I know, because that, that's very rare. And um, I'm, I'm I mean, I think that show is so great because, yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see season two because yeah. I feel like so many people need something like that. Like, I was like, I wish that this was around when I was, like, a little bit younger. Yeah. Because, like, that's never talked about. Like, you don't get that, like, that's the thing. My, life is my, awkward. You're, my like, brother, 13. My brother told me um my brother when he saw it he or he was like i wish we'd had this when we were kids and i can't wait to show this to my kid when he starts going through puberty because it, it really is on top of how filthy it is <laughs> it has such a heart yeah you know and that was the thing like i watched the show and i'm like oh i really care about these people and you can tell because in the room they want to make sure they get every moment right and that if it's authentic to the characters and what they would really say not just for a laugh but like would that character actually say that um, and the, it's smart and it, it gives it so many layers. And yeah, I think, you know, um, it's, you know, you don't have anything. I remember like, for me, it was like the wonder years when that came out in my, my generation, <laughs> I was a little bit, I think I was a little bit younger by like a year or two than those guys. But I feel like that was the closest thing I can, that I can compare Big Mouth to. And Big Mouth is like the raunchiest <laughs> thing in the world. And one years was so sweet, but like it, it's the same kind of vibe, you know, it feels authentic. Yeah, and I mean, at least for me growing up, I felt like TV was always one or the other. Either you were like, like shows about high school, either you're like the beautiful one that always does super well, or you just never get anything. And right. I feel like Big Mouth and things like that we need more of is that middle where it's like sometimes it goes well, sometimes it's right, horrible. Right, exactly, because that's like, the reality. Yeah, and like know? I never felt like I was like, oh, well, this isn't happening for me, so I must not fit anywhere. No, now, I mean, this is like exactly. A show. You know, and I felt like a mess all through ever, but I was, and I was a total nerd, but I also was popular. It's like that, so like it, yeah. you know, and you're like, I don't really know how that all worked out, and I never really saw things where I saw myself you know, in something. And I feel like a lot of those people, I really, a lot of those characters I can relate to in different ways. You know, I could watch and I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm like Andrew or I'm like Missy or I'm like yeah. Nick or whoever. Yeah. So, um, being in the writer's room, does it make you want to, you know, keep writing in terms of television? I or do love you like- it. I loved it. I'm not, I, to be totally honest, I'm not great at writing, for a lot of, I mean, and I've always known that I love write. I'm very selfish, and I and I and I learned how to write selfishly. I know how to write for myself, um, and I'm not great at writing for other people. And um, so I learned a lot, and I got better. I will say by the end, I was like, I and I, you know, and I learned a lot about just like sort of, you know, how that works. But um, and it's weird because like I can, it's like you improvise and you play different characters, and then you write from that way. But there's there's there was something that like I would need um, and it would have to be the perfect storm. I mean, I don't know if I would, I would be great, you know, in a writer's room every day all the time. Cause it's not kind of how I'm at the best served. Um, and, um, but I would love to do another situation like this where I get to, you know, pop in yeah. you know, a couple of days a week. I loved that. Cause there's like a real flexibility. That. And it also allowed me to do both jobs. Cause I was, you know, yeah. you know, I was, shooting Heathers and then doing, you know, in between the two. So it was, it was a great summer. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that you know? sounds amazing. It's a big come down in like uh, October <laughs> when it was done. I was like, uh, what am I going to do now? Cause I had so much fun all summer, you know, but, uh, yeah. So are you working on writing anything new? I'm not, I'm trying to stay open now to the next thing. Um, you know, I'm doing this for as long as it, as it runs, but I'm also trying to figure out what the next thing is going to be creatively. And I don't know. So I'm just trying to stay open to it. I mean, this fell into my lap, like this play fell into my lap, like a lot of, you know, 
So a lot of things will just hit me and I go, oh, that's an idea for a thing. Um, so I don't know what the next endeavor will be, but we shall see. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. I love talking to you. So great. It was really nice to sit down and talk for a little while. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Are we recording? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs)